This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. everybody and welcome back. This week I'm talking about physiology and its impact on psychology and what that means for your well-being. So here's what science tells us. Your physiology affects your psychology and your psychology affects your physiology, right? The human body and the human brain are connected and they impact each other in a never-ending loop. So the functioning of your body impacts the functioning of your mind and vice versa. Why does this matter? I think it matters because it is my belief that teachers often neglect their body at the expense of their mind. And it makes sense why we would do this. We are trained practitioners of teaching and learning. We're generally quite aware of cognition. We've all learned a bit of neuroscience at uni. We know what needs to happen to facilitate learning. And learning for the most part, happens in the mind. So we sort of understand the mind. And in my experience, we also tend to be fairly cerebral. We tend to be more likely to be overthinkers than not. That last part is actually just a little theory of mine um, based on my experience and from talking with teachers. So I'd be curious to hear whether that plays out in your experience too. But, But the other reason that I think it makes sense that we would neglect our body because we focus so much on our mind It's because across the board, human beings tend to take their bodies for granted. That's not just a thing that teachers do. That is human beings pretty much everywhere. So we tend to take our bodies for granted. That is until we are forced not to do that anymore, until our bodies remind us that actually they are still here and they shouldn't be taken for granted. How many times have you had a cold or a really sore throat and you thought, oh my God, all those days that I could breathe easily and swallow without pain, I totally took it for granted. I didn't even notice. But then within a week of recovery from the cold or the sore throat, you're back to taking for granted the fact that your lungs are clear and your throat doesn't hurt anymore. It's normal, right? That's the way we work. So for a start, take a moment right now to appreciate the ability to breathe easily and to swallow without pain. Of course, if you do have a cold right now when you're listening or some other illness, then maybe you actually need to take a moment to give yourself a little mental cuddle of self-compassion because it really does suck to be sick. But if we as teachers know a bit or even a lot about the brain, but we suffer from the human condition of taking our body for granted, plus, as a general rule, we tend to be even more in our heads than most people, what does that mean for our well-being? It means that the teacher well-being conversation really very often focuses heavily on minds and brains and behaviors to the exclusion of our bodies and our physiology. Obviously, as a well-being coach, I'm a huge fan of coaching and I recommend anyone who's experiencing any kind of psychological distress to go and seek some therapy, some counseling, go and see a psychologist. I'm a huge fan of that, a huge advocate of that. And I think that positive psychology is fantastic. Please do not mistake this for an episode against that because it's not. I know that positive education is making a difference in our schools and I know that the science of PERMA, you know, the positive psychology science framework is also making a difference in our schools, both as staff and student wellbeing programs. 
So I'm not bagging that. What I am increasingly seeing, though, is that it's only half the equation. To me, that equation is psychology plus physiology equals well-being. So at the moment, if we're only talking about the psychology, then we're really only getting to half of well-being, right? The equation is unbalanced. So a couple of quick definitions. Psychology is obviously the scientific study of the human mind and its functions, especially those affecting behavior especially in different contexts. So it's a study of the mind and the functioning of the mind. Physiology, on the other hand, is a study of the body. It's the study of the way in which a living organism or body functions. Now, I really like that both of these definitions use the word the function of the body or the mind because functioning is really crucial here. Fundamentally, you and me, we're not that different from our kids and our pets, We know we need to give our pets regular food, exercise, shelter, and medical treatment when necessary. Most of us love our pets so much that we would never, ever dream of denying them those things. And we also know that kids are more likely to be grisly and throw tantrums when they're tired or hungry or sick or when they feel unsafe. And, of course, we know kids at school who haven't had breakfast or who come from unsafe home lives are at a huge disadvantage when it comes to learning. And sometimes in those cases, the fact that they're at school in the first place is a big win for the day. Yet when it comes to our treatment of ourselves as adults and also our expectations on each other, on colleagues, on the other adults that we work with and that we live with, we often overlook these very basic physical needs. Somehow we think that because we're all grown up, because we're more evolved, quote unquote, than our pets, than animals, And because we're more educated than generations who have gone before us, that we can skip lunch or skimp on our sleep or fuel ourselves with sugar and caffeine and get away with it and that it'll be fine because we're grown-ups and, you know, we're more evolved and more educated. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you have a little bit of that going on in your subconscious? Are you maybe expecting that of the people around you as well? And the thing is, most people actually can get away with that for quite some time. Human bodies are incredibly resilient. Like really, we're actually freaking amazing at not just surviving, but functioning quite well in less than ideal conditions. Seriously, a huge number of people in the Western world get by on, you know, six hours of sleep or less per night, doing no exercise ever, high levels of stress and anxiety, really long working days, lots of junk food and way too much caffeine. And actually, they continue to function fairly well for a long time. They might even be, in fact, I think they often are, the kind of the executives at the top of a lot of the big businesses. That's that's the kind of perception that we have of like Wall Street and a lot of those corporate type jobs. And those people continue to show up to work to get their work done pretty well and to be mostly pleasant to be around most of the time, like they're effective and efficient and not, you know, horrible people. Some of them are, but not all of them, most of the time. And I actually just think that's amazing. Because human bodies are very, very, very good at keeping us going in the short term, even in less than ideal conditions. Most of us know that in theory, we should eat well and we should exercise and we should quit smoking in order to prevent things like heart disease and diabetes and lung cancer 30 years from now. But in the short term, those things are really hard, right? Exercise and eating well and getting enough sleep and quitting smoking. It's a whole lot of effort and it's a whole lot of energy And I've never had to do it, but I understand that quitting smoking is an even, you know, a whole other kettle of very difficult fish, even more than just the effort and energy required to eat well and exercise. 
And we're busy, right? There are deadlines and people expecting things from us right now. Now. I need it on my desk now. So we put it off because we can. We know there are consequences and we know that those consequences are cumulative, but they're also a really long way away. (laughs) So we think tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And our bodies are so good at letting us get away with it in the short term. So tomorrow becomes actually the day after tomorrow and next term and next year. Oh, and look, when I finally get to that other place off in the future, then I'll do it. And that's all well and good until suddenly it's not. The fact of the matter is that we are not as evolved as we think we are. (laughs) We may live in a technology-fueled, fast-paced world, but fundamentally, our human physiology hasn't actually changed and the things that human bodies need to be sustainably healthy are not that different from other living creatures. Just because we have language and we invented the wheel and sliced bread and complicated social structures and infrastructure and iPhones, it doesn't mean that our bodies don't still need the basics. Abraham Maslow got it right with his hierarchy of human needs. The physiological needs in that hierarchy, they are the foundation for a reason. So a quick overview for those of you who don't know or who need a refresher. Abraham Maslow was an American psychologist who in the 1940s and 1950s published his theory about human motivation um, and he made a lovely little graphic organizer to represent it, which is shaped like a pyramid because the human needs that Maslow outlines are in fact a hierarchy and with the more basic needs at the bottom of the pyramid and the other needs get stacked on top. So I'll pop a link in the show notes, but the basic description is this. Picture a triangle with the pointy end at the top and the, the sort of larger end at the bottom. Picture that triangle or otherwise known as a pyramid if we're thinking about visual models or graphic organizers, right? It's a pyramid even though it's a 2D one. So on the bottom of the pyramid, the most foundational needs are the physiological human needs, air, food and water, warmth, sex, sleep. Now, obviously, we don't actually need sex to survive as individuals, but our human species does, right? And the rest of those needs are biological necessities. We literally cannot exist without them. So even within the list, there's a bit of a hierarchy. These are rough numbers, obviously, but when it comes down to it, human beings can survive for about three weeks without food, but only three days without water, but then only really three minutes without air. So these physiological needs are actually biological requirements for life, and it makes sense that they're on the bottom of the pyramid. The next tier up is safety, so the safety needs, things like protection from the elements, security, law and order, freedom from fear. Again, there's a bit of a hierarchy within this because if we want to look at pure survival, humans can obviously survive as a species without organized structures of law and order, but we still need safety. We still need security and protection from the elements. We won't survive very long in a cyclone or the Arctic or in a war zone without these things. The next tier up is love and belonging. And those needs are things like friendship, trust, intimacy, and also just simply belonging to a social group. Now, we know how important touch and love is for the development of babies and for children. And there is more and more research coming out now about the detrimental health impacts of loneliness on adults as well. So this is a really legitimate need. The fourth tier, which is second from the top of the pyramid, is the esteem needs. So your self-esteem, right? It includes both the sense of dignity, achievement, independence, and also desire for respect from others. Again, really important, but it's near the top. So we need those other more fundamental needs met before this really becomes something we can work on. 
or even care about, right? If you're in a war zone, you're probably not worried so much about your self-esteem. And the final and top tier is called self-actualization, which is all about personal growth and potential and seeking happiness and fulfillment and, you know, peak experiences. And getting to this point, it's not a given. And once you reach the highest point on the pyramid, you don't necessarily stay there, right? Self-actualization is something that we kind of drop in and out of throughout life, depending on our circumstances. Life events that disrupt the lower levels on the pyramid will move us up and down the hierarchy as we need to, right? It's about our needs and what we actually need at that time. Now, I've always found there's two main ways to approach this hierarchy. There's kind of looking at it from the pure survival level, and then there's looking at it more from a perspective of thriving. And I think it's safe to say that if you're listening to this, you're probably a privileged person to some extent. Maybe you have some life and health and work problems and some, you know, some serious challenges. But if you have a digital device that can listen to a podcast and you're seeking one out about well-being for school teachers, you're probably doing better than a large percentage of the world's population, like just on pure comparison, you know, but that doesn't discount the problems that you're facing. And although I fully recognize that there are a lot of people in the world and some of them are in our classrooms and in our communities for whom it is a struggle to have their basic survival needs met, this episode isn't really about that. I'm not addressing that here, but I do want to acknowledge that that's a thing, right? There are kids in our classrooms who really are not getting their basic physiological needs met and we need to know about that and understand that. But again, that's not what I'm talking about today because chances are even if you are depressed and anxious and overweight and you can't sleep and you have the flu, you still probably have some of your basic needs met if you're listening to this. To get to this point in your life, you've probably had your basic survival needs met often enough to be here, right? So Maslow himself identified later in his life that this theory wasn't quite complete in that it is possible to move towards self-actualization even when things aren't going that great in some other area. You know, it's possible to have a terminal illness or endure trauma, for example, and still achieve some sort of inner peace or focus on contributing to others rather than getting stuck in your own circumstances, for example. And he called this level transcendence, and it's a beautiful aspect of human nature. But let's bring this back to the practical and to what you can apply in your everyday life. So that obviously psychology research has moved on a lot from the 1950s. There's been a huge amount that has contributed to and built upon Maslow's theory and also in some cases, you know, identifies that it's not complete. But let's come back to the practical, what you can do with this information in your everyday life. So this episode is really about how we as teachers often focus too much on our psychology to the exclusion of our physiology. And so let's put this Maslow stuff in context of that. Survival is not well-being, right? Physiological survival for most of us in the Western world is not really under threat. Thank goodness, aren't we lucky, right? So to a certain extent, we have the absolute luxury of being able to focus on our psychology without thinking too much about our physiology. But the issue is that we're not aiming for mere survival here. The reason you're listening to this podcast, and do correct me if I'm wrong, I like to hear from you. But I think the reason that you're listening to this podcast is because you're sick of just surviving and you want to thrive. You are actively seeking ways to improve your life and health and well-being so that you don't just drag yourself through the days and weeks and months and years of your life, but you can actually enjoy them and function better 
and hopefully give back more too. I know that a lot of you listening became teachers because you wanted to give back and make a difference to the children and young people that you work with. I know that. And I know that you've figured out or are at least starting to realize that you can only do that if you are well enough to do that yourself. You can't pour from an empty cup, etc., etc. What I'm particularly interested in is the way our human physiology impacts that ability to give back. It impacts our general functioning and also our enjoyment of life. Like I said earlier, human bodies are bloody brilliant at helping us survive and at letting us get away with unhealthy behaviors in the short term. We are great at survival, but it does catch up with us in the long term. So if we are striving for more than just survival, if we are striving for long-term health and well-being, then we ignore our physiology at our peril. But even in the short term, actually, we ignore our physiology at our peril, or maybe not peril, maybe just misery and mediocrity. So let's go back to those physiological needs on Maslow's hierarchy. They are air, food and water, warmth, sex, and sleep. And if you're listening to this, then I take it as a given that you have enough of these things to survive. But what is the quality of them that you are experiencing? What is the quality of the air, the food and water, the warmth, the sex, and the sleep that you're experiencing? Because it's the quality of these things that takes us from just surviving to actually thriving and functioning really well. Now, for the sake of keeping this podcast clean, I'm going to leave the sex part out of this. (laughs) Um, And I'm also going to leave warmth out of it too, except to say that it's winter right now. And I'm recording this after having had the revelation that I always have about halfway through winter, which is when I realize that I get super grumpy and I find it really hard to focus when I'm cold. So I become really inefficient and really snappy. And it always happens quite gradually. And I don't really notice the cold creeping in when I sit down at the computer or wherever I am, until suddenly I'm freezing and I've snapped at my husband a million times or my colleagues and I've not really gotten anything done despite sitting there shivering for ages. And then the light bulb goes off and I remember, oh yeah, I'm kind of a bit of a reptile and I don't function well when I'm cold. And so then I make more of an effort for the rest of winter to, you know, warm myself up to get going, be very aware of that, have extra jumpers and blankets and wherever possible have a hot water bottle on my lap when I have to sit at the computer for long periods of time. So that's just a little reminder to, you know, keep yourself warm, especially if you're going to be sitting still for a while, because you'll likely get more done that way. But again, we're leaving the warmth kind of mostly out of this. So let's talk about the other physiological needs. Air, which I'm going to also look at as breath, food and nutrition, water and hydration, and of course, rest and sleep. I'm also going to add movement and exercise in there. Because remember, we're talking about thriving, not just surviving. So the five things that human bodies need to thrive are quality air and breath, quality food and nutrition, quality water and hydration, quality movement and exercise, and quality rest and sleep. So if you had to rank yourself on each of these, how would you do? Let's take some time now to think about that. I want you to think about an average week during the school term, not during school holidays and not during some ideal perfect fantasy week, but an actual average week in reality. (laughs) And think about each of these things on balance across the week. And again, just before we go into this, we're going to be super self-compassionate here. We're not going to make ourselves wrong for anything. We're just going to notice and observe non-judgmentally. We're going to be as honest as we can, but also as non-judgmental as we can. So 
on a scale of one to 10, one being the lowest and 10 being great and optimal and excellent, across your week, what is the quality of your air and breath? Do you have moments where you pause and consciously breathe deeply and slowly? Are you aware of and connected to your breathing throughout the day? Do you catch yourself when you're breathing shallowly and consciously redirect yourself to breathe deeply and slowly? Do you have some kind of meditation or mindfulness practice that you do regularly? Do you understand the connection between the breath and the nervous system, between the stress response and the relaxation response, and between deep, slow breathing and health? Also, do you live somewhere with access to fresh air? Do you stay indoors all the time with just the air conditioning and the heater heating on and never go outside? Do you live in a city full of smog and exhaust fumes and never get anywhere in nature with fresh air? Or do you make a point of going outside and visiting parks and places with trees and beautiful clean air and breathing that in deeply? So think about that and rank yourself out of 10 for the quality of your breathing. Okay, next, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest and 10 being great and excellent and optimal, across your week, what's the quality of your food and nutrition and digestion? Are you getting your two fruit and five vegetable servings most days? Are you limiting your junk food to 20% of your diet with 80% being, you know, healthy? Do you have some kind of meal prepping routine that allows you to have healthy food at your convenience throughout the week and that prevents you from reaching for that convenient junk food, which is so often loaded with additives and preservatives and sugar and salt and all the things that make it taste good, but also means that it's not particularly good for us? And are you eating in ways that actually really support your health, avoiding foods that you may be sensitive or intolerant to, and sticking to foods that you know make your body sing? Are you paying attention to your digestion and even your whole physiology and the impact that it has on that, on your tummy, on your bowels, on your concentration, on your cognition? Do you get cravings? Do you notice that certain foods lead to real peaks of energy followed by absolute energy crashes? Do you get brain fog? Do you find yourself suddenly ravenously hungry within just a couple of hours of your last meal? Do you skip meals because you're really busy, right? And you've just got to go on playground duty and you don't have time for lunch today. Are you managing your stress? Or do you have some strategies that can help shift your body from fight or flight mode to rest and digest mode? Think about all of these things and then rank yourself out of 10 for the quality of your food throughout the week. Okay, next one. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being lowest, 10 being great and optimal and excellent, across your week, what's the quality of your water? And maybe quality isn't the right word here. Maybe it's amount. If you live in Australia, then we're really lucky in most places that the water is pretty excellent straight from the tap. It's treated, it's clean, it's not going to give you a parasite or any bacteria. So then the question is really, are you drinking enough water? Are you hydrated? Do you have a water bottle, reusable of course, that you take with you to your classroom? Do you refill it throughout the day? What color is your urine? Is it bright yellow? Because if it is, you might need to be drinking more water. And do you actually drink water or do you drink mostly tea and coffee and other beverages? Because even though you might be drinking a lot of liquid, those other beverages don't hydrate you like water. And in fact, some of them, caffeine, alcohol, they can actually dehydrate you. So think about that. Think about how much water you drink and in comparison to the other liquids and how often and how hydrated you actually are. 
then rank yourself out of 10 for the quality of your water and hydration. Okay, moving on. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest and 10 being great and optimal and excellent, across your week, what's the quality of your movement and exercise? Do you exercise? Do you sit down for really long periods of time at a desk all day without movement? The Australian Physical Activity and Sedentary Behaviour Guidelines, which I will link to in the show notes, say that you need to be active, we should be active on most days, preferably all days in the week. Is that you? Do you accumulate 150 to 300 minutes, which is two and a half to five hours of moderate intensity physical activity, or 75 to 150 minutes, which is one and a quarter to two and a half hours of vigorous intensity physical activity? or an equivalent combination of both moderate and vigorous activities each week? Do you incorporate muscle strength training activities on at least two days each week? I know how hard this is, and most of us are so tired, and exercise takes so much energy and time, like two and a half to five hours per week in these guidelines. I bet there are some of you there thinking, who has time for that? But then the other question is, who has time not to do that? Do you have time to be sick in the long run? Do you have time for your body to kind of give up on you or give out on you? This is about what you need to be healthy and to achieve well-being and to thrive. And yes, you can get away with doing no exercise ever. Your body will survive, but it won't be functioning optimally. It will catch up with you eventually. And by the way, this information is for healthy populations, these statistics. I recommend if you have any kind of medical or chronic condition that you go and get an individualized exercise prescription from your local accredited exercise physiologist. I know I'm married to one, so you might think that I'm biased and I probably am, but actually I also saw an exercise physiologist for a clinical exercise prescription for my chronic health conditions when I was at university, long before Stuart and I were romantically involved. So actually I've been a fan of the modality for 12 or 13 years. And even though I still have such a hard time with exercise when I'm not well, when my conditions are flaring up, I also know how much of a difference, even more when I'm not well, I know how much of a difference gentle exercises, even things like walking and stretching. I know how great that is and what the impact it has been on my well-being and also my psychology, right? Because remember, this stuff is all about how the physiology, the functioning of the body actually does impact the functioning and the experience of the mind. Anyway, my point is, think about the quality of your movement and your exercise across an average week and give it a rank out of 10. And finally, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the lowest and 10 being great and optimal across your week, what is the quality of your sleep? Do you get 7 to 8 hours per night? Do you wake feeling refreshed? Are you able to fall asleep fairly easily? And do you get back to sleep fairly easily if you wake in the night? Or do you find yourself waking up really early and not being able to get back to sleep? Do you find it really hard to switch off and actually fall asleep at night? Do you go to bed and get out of bed at roughly the same time every day of the week? Do you sleep in a lot at weekends and stay out really late? Do you have a bedtime routine? Do you turn off your screens at least 30 minutes, but preferably 60 minutes before trying to fall asleep? Do you see the sun during the day and expose your eyes to morning sunlight? Are you managing your stress and do you have strategies that you put in place to manage and mitigate your stress and shift your nervous system from the fight or flight response to the rest and digest response? Do you limit your caffeine consumption later in the day? Do you exercise, right? And on the topic of exercise, again, it will help you sleep. So if you need an incentive to exercise, that might be it. But then do you exercise within a couple of hours of bedtime because that might not be helping you sleep? Do you eat late at night or close to bedtime? 
Do you drink alcohol in the evenings? Do you have underlying health conditions that might be interrupting your sleep, such as sleep apnea? And are you being treated appropriately for them? So think about all those things and then rank yourself out of 10 for the quality of your sleep across the average week. And now that you have five rankings out of 10, add up your scores. What did you get? Is it 50 out of 50? I'm willing to bet it's probably not, and that's okay because perfection is not the goal here. But I do want you to pay particular attention to the areas where you scored less than 5 out of 10. If you scored less than 5 out of 10 consistently for each of the areas, so that would be less than 25 out of 50 overall, please listen to that. Please pay attention to that. Treat it as a bit of a wake-up call because these five areas, air or breath, food and digestion, water and hydration, exercise and movement, and rest and sleep, these are the fundamentals of physiological health and well-being, and they underpin our psychological health and well-being so much more than we think, not to mention our everyday functioning, our efficiency and effectiveness, and just capacity in life. So if you do have one or more areas where you can see that there needs to be some improvement, just observe that. Remember, we are looking at this with self-compassion and not making ourselves wrong or beating ourselves up for it. It is what it is. You are where you are and you've been doing the best that you can with the resources that you have available to you right now. And maybe you don't have many physiological or psychological resources because you're exhausted. So I want you to know that if that's the case, you need to be extra gentle on yourself because although improving these five areas will give you more physical energy and capacity and more physiological resources, which will then also give you more mental and emotional energy and capacity, so more psychological resources, They're also habits that require some energy and capacity to change, and they don't change all at once overnight. So just pick one for now. Pick one that you can make an achievable change in. I recommend picking either the one that you think will be easiest to improve or the one that is causing you the most problems right now. So for me personally, it's almost always sleep. If my sleep is out of whack, nothing else works, and I am just a total mess. So I always prioritize sleep over any of the others. And once sleep is going okay, then after a few weeks or months, I can start looking at the other areas. But for you, it might be food or movement. Or maybe you think, you know what? I'm exhausted, but I can definitely easily get more water in my day. So I'm just going to commit to refilling my water bottle each lunch break because that I know I can do. And that will make a difference. Or maybe it's incorporating a simple five-minute meditation every day. Five minutes might be all you feel you have time and energy for right now, but again, it will make a difference. And the best part is that these five areas, air or breath, food and digestion, water and hydration, exercise and movement, and rest and sleep, they work together and they impact each other. They're a system of systems. So if you make a positive change in one area, it will generally positively impact the others too. Now, I have some free resources in the freebies library on the resource room that can help you with some of these. There's a free meditation, some healthy habit tracking sheets, and a webinar about healthy habits, and also a webinar about stress. And of course, there's many other episodes of the podcast that can probably help too, and those are free. The freebies library you can find at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash library. And if you're listening to this in July 2019 and you want to take your management of your mind to the next level, while also looking at some of these habits, especially sleep and the breath, then I highly recommend checking out my upcoming Mind Management Pilot Program, which starts 21st of July. Your monkey mind is normal and natural, but when it runs the show, your happiness and well-being take a hit, as does your productivity, focus, patience, and peace of mind. 
and everything that we discussed today about what your physiology needs to thrive, it all impacts your psychology too. So if you found this particularly a relevant episode for you, then consider joining this program. Modern science has caught up with what some ancient cultures have known for millennia, which is that you can learn to manage your mind so that you experience less fatigue and more focus, less distraction and more concentration, less stress and more sleep, less overwhelm and more peace. So if you've ever felt like your experience of life and work is impacted by what's going on between your ears, then this program is for you. The good news is that training your monkey mind is not only possible, it can be enjoyable too, but the bad news is there's no quick fix, just like with all of these habits. So if you want to join me for this five-month pilot program that will help you learn to manage your mind and cultivate more happiness and well-being in the classroom and in life, I invite you to join me. At this stage, we'll be having the calls fortnightly at 8.30am on Saturdays. That's 8.30 Queensland time, which I know is not ideal for all the Australian time zones. But if we get enough people interested, I'll run a second group either on Saturdays at midday or on a weeknight as chosen by the group. So get in touch if you are interested for that. And of course, this is a pilot program. So down the track, it may be different time zones and different times. The pilot program is $88 per month and you'll get access to a monthly video training plus some psychological and physiological assignments to help build your knowledge and skill base, a fortnightly group accountability call to keep you on track, connect with others on the same journey, a weekly check-in and reflection process to help you tailor the program to your situation, a private Slack channel to stay in touch with everyone between calls, a menu of daily habits and practices that can cultivate well-being both physiological and psychological, and you will end up with a greater understanding and mastery of your mind and body. If you're ready to make some changes in your life and health and well-being, do consider joining me in this five-month-long pilot program to learn how to better manage your monkey mind and get those monkeys back in their barrel by supporting yourself physiologically and psychologically. So you can do that at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash mind, M-I-N-D. And I'll put all of the links from today's episode in the show notes. And as always, friends, remember that you're a person first and a teacher second, and you are worthy of your own care. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories, and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. Season five of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is proudly supported by Katrina Burke Coaching, Teachers Thriving, Zoe from My Smart Community, Jessica from Lead and Inspire, and Katie from See Me, Know Me, Teach Me. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.